Thank you so much, Dan and Eric and choir and instrumentalists and Lanny for the beautiful music we experienced today. Turn your Bibles to John chapter 13. We continue in our sermon series from the Johannine Gospel, John chapter 13. It strikes me as odd. You live in the same world as others. You go to the same places. You have the same friends. But there's something different about you. You love, you care, you go, you do, you give. If I were to recite all the wonderful things that you have done, you'd be angry at me for saying it. Where do you get that from? The difference is you have taken the time to attend to the Spirit, the God-given Spirit, the in-God's-image Spirit, the God-like quality in yourself. You nourish it, you feed it, you pray with it, you worship with it, and you let it breathe. And the Spirit of Christ in you increases and eventually really shapes who you are. That's the difference. The roads of Palestine were dirty and dusty. When the weather was dry, they were inches deep in dust. When they were wet, it was liquid mud. Shoes in the day were nothing more than leather straps with a leather bottom but the roads had more than just dust on them. There was the garbage out on the streets, and there was the waste from all the animals who traveled up and down the streets, sandals without socks, and the filth on the road. Feet could become very, very filthy. The custom of the day was to recline, to lay down at the table at the evening meal. And dirty, smelly feet could make for bad table fellowship. Well, it wasn't good. A slave was often provided at the door to wash the feet of the guest. It was considered a breach of hospitality to fail to wash the guest's feet. The first verses here, one through five, are taking the towel, taking the towel. Now, before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he should depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And during supper, the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him. And Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, they had come forth from God and was going back to God, rose from the supper, laid aside his garments, took the towel, girded himself, poured the water in the basin, began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Well, in John's gospel, you don't have a Lord's Supper scene. Most likely, the foot-washing event happens on the same evening at that time in the Gospel of John. I can say that 
pretty safely because of two things. First of all, notice the first reference. Before the feast of the Passover, that's the time when we have the Lord's Supper instituted. And the second thing is, this is the night in John's gospel when Judas goes out into the night to betray our Lord. It is the same way in the synoptic gospels on that evening when they observe that Thursday when they take the Lord's Supper. We can be sure that Jesus is not surprised by the cross. Look at verse 1. Knowing that his hour had come. You remember last sermon in chapter 12 and verse 23 when the Greeks came looking for the Messiah to have a conversation with him that because the Gentiles were seeking the Jewish Messiah, we are told that Jesus concluded, my hour has come. Well, take chapter 12 with chapter 13 when we read in verse 1, knowing that his hour was here. The cross does not surprise our Christ. He knows the hour of his passion has arrived. In chapter 12, his hour is represented as experience again the glory of the Father. And here it is in terms of leaving this world and going back to the Father where indeed the glory is. In chapter 13, we have a change Before the focus in John's gospel was on our Lord's public ministry. And now the focus moves to his ministry to his own. Notice the language there. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So now the focus is on the Christ with his disciples. He loves them to the end, to the telos. It can mean something like to the last moment chronologically, which would mean he loved them all the way to his death on the cross. Or it could be translated this way, he loved them uttermost. He loved them completely. He loved them as much as anybody could love. He loved them to the telos. He loved them ultimately to the cross. Unfortunately, we learned that this is where Satan enters the heart of Judas. Back in chapter 6 and verse 70, Jesus has already accused Judas of having the devil with him. And now that intimate relationship between the powers of evil and Judas are displayed in all their fullness. And what we know now as readers of this story is it's not just the Jewish leadership that's against the Christ. It's no longer just the Roman authorities that are against the Christ. It is the evil powers of the cosmos who have come against the Christ. It is Satan as well who has come against the Christ. John's gospel presents Jesus in his most divine light. Here we look into the mind of Jesus as we learn that he himself knew that God had given all things into his hands. Now that's a strange thing to say, isn't it? Here he is right before the crucifixion, And what we're told is that God has placed all things into his hands. Even at the threshold of Calvary, the power of the Christ is declared. 
Because John doesn't see the cross as we see the cross as a defeat, but rather he sees the cross where God is working his glory and God is working for our salvation. Here we're told that this word which had been with God, this word which put on flesh, this word which had come from the Father was going back to the Father and all things were in his hands. The first disciple enters the upper room. He discovers there's no servant to wash feet. He has to make a decision. Does he wash his own feet? Does he take off his outer garment, pour the water in the bowl, and greet everybody at the door and do the task of the slave and wash everybody's feet? He gets there and he, I'm not a slave. I'm not going to wash anybody's feet. Not me. Uh-uh. I'm no foot washer. Instead, he most likely goes to the, the place where he thinks Jesus will sit, just to the right hand, to the greatest place of honor. The second disciple enters and realizes there is no foot washer, and he sees his friend already at a place of honor, and, well, I'm not going to do it if he's not going to do it. And he goes to the second best seat in the house. All the disciples do the same thing, and then why Jesus arrives, and he looks at the water, and he looks at the dirty feet, and he must be thinking sermon after sermon and story after story, and they still don't get it. Jesus goes and takes his place, perhaps imagining at least someone will get up and wash the rabbi's feet, but no one moves. Now watch him. Right in the middle of the meal, the Messiah, he did the most unlikely thing. He took the towel so he could wash feet. It's hard for us as readers of this story to realize how menial this task was. In fact, a synonym for slave was foot washing. Whoever washed feet was at the, the low end. A servant couldn't be made to do this. A Jewish servant couldn't be made to do this. Only a Gentile slave. There's really no parallel I can give you. I tried to think this week. It might be as if the Queen of England went to the hospital to wash out bedpans. It's, it's something along those lines. It is such a stoop down that you could not possibly imagine it. But he does it. In fact, the story goes about Rabbi Ishmael who came home from the synagogue one day. His mother wanted to wash his dirty feet and he refused to let her on the ground. It was too, meaning, too demeaning a task for his mother. Picture the disciples now. Each one is on his left elbow. The feet are radiating out from the table sort of like spokes and all of a sudden Jesus pushes himself up on his left elbow. And I want you to notice in verses 4 and 5 the verbals that we are given. Notice what he did. He rose. He laid aside the garment. He picked up the towel. He wrapped the towel around him. He poured the water in the basin. He washed the feet. He wiped the feet. He gives us the greatest detail of what Jesus did because he couldn't believe the Messiah was doing these things. He, he, didn't, he didn't forget a movement of the Messiah. He rose, took off his garment, took up the towel, 
tied the towel, poured the water, washed the feet, wiped the feet. John was there. He shall never forget how shocked he was when the rabbi washed the feet of his students. Seeing the Lord do this has sent shock waves from the first century all the way to our own. It reminds us of the words of the Apostle Paul who writes, one who's in the very nature of God made himself nothing and took on the nature of the servant, Philippians 2. One who was God became the servant, Philippians 2. Or Luke 22, Jesus himself said, I, I am the one who serves. On this occasion, the one who wraps heavens in clouds wrapped himself in a towel. And he who poured the water into the rivers and filled the oceans with the flood, why, he fills the little basin to wash the feet. And he before whom every knee shall bow, every knee in heaven and on earth and under the earth, the one before whom every knee shall bow, he bows his own knees before each disciple and goes and washes their feet. This act of Jesus has been interpreted a lot of different ways. First of all, some people see it as an example of humility. I think there's certainly some of that here. That he, in fact, he'll say, even as I have washed your feet, you ought also to wash one another's feet. So there's some humility here. Others see it as a symbol of the Lord's Supper. It's the same evening as the act of humility, and we don't have that account in John's gospel, so it's to be read as John's presentation of this most important event. Some see it as a, a symbol of baptism, washing and cleansing by the water. Perhaps there's some of that here. Others see it as a, a symbol of cleansing that comes from the crucifixion of the Christ on the cross. If they can get our filthy feet clean, certainly the cross can cleanse our hearts, the scholars say. Others see it as a sacrament like baptism or the Lord's Supper that's actually begun by our Lord, and therefore the church, we'll talk about it in a moment, should wash feet from that age into our own. It's probably a mixture of all those things. The, the second part, verses 6 through 10, also my hands and my head. Look how verse 6 began. And so he came to Simon Peter. That's probably an indication that Peter's not the first one to get his feet washed, and he's not the last one. I, I would translate this way. And when it was Peter's turn, and when it, it came to Peter, when it was Peter's turn, now, there's been nothing but awkward silence in the room until now. You imagine how uncomfortable you'd be if the Lord came to wash your feet? And Peter's never known silence, not once in his life, and everybody else is just quiet and embarrassed, but but Peter has to talk. Peter always has to talk. Peter says to him, Lord, someone as great as you is going to wash someone as dreadful as I. You're going to wash my feet? And Jesus says to him, look at verse 7. What I do, you do not realize now, but you shall understand hereafter. 
as the disciples cannot yet understand, the one whom they venerate as Messiah must go to the cross, they cannot interpret the symbol-laden acts that anticipate the cross. Hereafter is translated after these things. After the cross, after the resurrection, not now, Peter, I can't expect you to get it now, but after these things, hereafter, after the cross, you will finally get it, Peter. Peter, not to be outdone by the Lord, the Lord told him, you'll get it later. Well, Peter said to him, verse 8, you shall never, ever, never, ever, never, ever, ever, ever wash my feet. That's the translation. It is the best negation you can come up with in the Greek language. In fact, you could translate it this way. In all eternity, you will never wash my feet. That's what Peter says. The Lord says, well, then, verse 8, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. This word for part is a word that indicates a portion of the inheritance, a portion of the inheritance. In fact, it is used, it gets used as spiritual blessings in the Jewish world. And in Revelation, which is also written by John, the last chapter, it is used as one having a part in Christ's kingdom, having one's name, the book of life. If I don't wash your feet, then you have no inheritance in my kingdom. You'll be left out. You'll have no part, Jesus says. What Jesus is saying is this. You're a sinner. I'm your Savior. You need to be cleansed. Every relationship we ever have with him begins with us being dirty and the Christ humbling himself to cleanse us. Everyone in this room is like Simon Peter. We need the Lord to come and cleanse us so that we can have a part in his kingdom. All of our journey of discipleship begins with the washing of water in the baptistry. Well, Peter was exuberant in his negation. He's exuberant in his acceptance. And so he says, Lord, wash all of me. Wash my feet. Wash my hands. Wash my head. And Jesus said, if I just wash your feet, you'll be all clean. It's the image of a man who's going to a feast. He's bathed himself at home. He makes his way to the feast. The only thing that's dirty now is his feet. And so if you wash his feet, you're completely clean. There's nothing beyond the cross, Peter, by which you need to be cleansed. It's a once and for all, a complete cleansing. In verse 10, Jesus goes to the plural in his language, and he says, all of you are clean. He says, you are clean. It is, you all are clean, but not all of you, meaning Judas. By the way, in chapter 15 and verse 3, the only other place where Jesus says to his disciples, you are clean, Judas is not present there. He does not say Judas is clean. Well, verse 11, washing the feet of the betrayer. Verse 11, washing the feet 
of the betrayer. For he knew the one who was betraying him. For this reason, he said, not all of you are clean. Have you ever imagined what it meant for the Messiah to wash Peter's feet's one thing, John's feet's another thing, but for Jesus to wash Judas's feet? He knows. He knows what Judas is about to do. In fact, he just said, not all of you are clean. And, and, Judas, and Jesus washes Judas's feet just as carefully and lovingly as he does all the other feet. This Jesus who says to us in his Sermon on the Mount that we ought to pray for those who persecute us, that we are to love our enemies, this same Jesus washes the feet of the one who will hand him over to be crucified. Verses 12 through 17, you ought also to wash one another's feet. You ought also to wash one another's feet. Look at verse 12. When he had washed their feet and taken his garments, he reclined at the table again. And he said to them, do you know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, the teacher and the Lord, washed your feet, you ought also to wash one another's feet. For I gave you as an example that you will do as I did. You call me teacher, didaskalos, it is the word for rabbi, and you call me kurios, you call me Lord. It's, it's the word in the Septuagint, the Greek Old Testament, for Yahweh himself. You call me rabbi, you call me God, you call me Lord, and yet I've washed your feet, so you ought also to wash one another's feet. Now, let me say that no early church interpreted this to mean that foot washing was like baptism or the Lord's Supper. It, it's not the act of putting the water in the bowl and washing the feet. It's the heart of humility that's to be repeated, is it not? Christ washing feet is not just Christ's model but it's his mandate. Just like I wash feet, you ought also to wash feet. Brendan Manning was waiting to catch a plane in the Atlanta airport. He went to the, one of those places where men shine your shoes, and he sat down and as a man was shining his shoes, he got in his head that, well, when it was over, that he'd pay the man, tip the man, then reverse the rolls. And, and, and in fact, when the man was finished, he said, now, sir, he paid him, tipped him, and said, now I would like to shine your shoes. And the man said, you want to do what? He said, I would like to shine your shoes. Now sit down. How would you like them done? The old man just began to weep and said, no one has ever shine my shoes. No one has ever shined my shoes before. The Messiah's mandate. Whose feet are you washing? It strikes me as odd you live in the same world as others. You have the same friends and you go the same places. But there's something different about you. 
You love, you care, you go, you do, you give. And if I were to recite all the good things you've done, you'd be embarrassed and angry at me for saying it, where do you get that from? The difference is you've taken time to attend the Spirit, to the God-given Spirit, to the God's image Spirit, to the God-like quality within you. You nourish it, and you feed it, and you pray with it, and you worship with it, and you let it breathe. And the Spirit of Christ increases within you, and it eventually shapes who you are. Let us pray. A God who washes feet, Lord, the the Bible's full of the oddest notions. But this may be the oddest of all. The one who will have his feet pierced right before that he cleanses the feet of all who will follow him. Oh God, where we have been proud, forgive us. When we fall for position, forgive us. Where we thought ourselves too good, too high, too mighty to do that. Remind us. The one who poured the water in the oceans. Also took his hands to pour the water in the little bowl. And rubbed the mud and dung from it around the feet. The filthy feet. Of his disciples. And may we not forget that he said, You call me teacher and Lord, and it is good, for so am I. And if I will wash your feet, you ought also to wash the feet of each other. Amen.